You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. A full decade after Europe's leaders took the decision to launch the euro, we have good reason to be proud of our single currency. The Economic and Monetary Union and the euro are a major success. Self-congratulation is in order at birthday parties, so nobody should be surprised at the effusive remarks in the foreword by Joachim Almunia, Commissioner for Economic and Monetary Affairs, to an excellent study of EMU at 10. How could anybody dare to question the achievements of the single currency? It is now considered a credible rival to the US dollar. Jeffrey Frankel of Harvard even predicted in March that the, and I quote, euro could replace the dollar within 10 years, close quote. This is a far cry indeed from the scepticism, particularly in English-speaking circles, that greeted both its launch and the subsequent period of declining value against the US dollar. This is a credible currency. The successes are indeed obvious. The European Central Bank has established itself as a credible central bank and plausible rival to the Federal Reserve. Annual inflation in the Eurozone's member countries averaged 2.2% a year between 1999 and early 2008, against 3.3% between 1989 and 1998. The fiscal deficit fell to 0.6% of gross domestic product last year, compared with an average of 4% in the 1980s and 1990s. Nominal and real interest rates have both been lower than for several decades. Intra-area trade flows now account for a third of the Eurozone's GDP, up from a quarter ten years ago. And financial integration has proceeded apace, with the 16 largest banking groups holding more than 25% of their assets outside their home countries. It is little wonder, then, that the euro has recovered so strongly against the dollar and that in real terms a synthetic euro is now at its highest since 1970, according to J.P. Morgan. It is little wonder that the euro's share of disclosed foreign currency reserves rose from 18% in 1999 to more than 25% in 2007. It is little wonder, too, that the membership of the eurozone has risen to 15 from the initial 11, with more in the wings. Yet all is not rosy. According to the Commission, real GDP per head grew at only 1.6% a year between 1999 and 2008, down from 1.9% between 1989 and 1998, and well below the 2.2% in Denmark, Sweden and the UK, the three established members of the European Union to remain outside. Labour productivity grew at only 0.8% a year, down from 1.6% between 1989 and 1998, and well below the 1.6% in the US between 1999 and 2008. The unemployment rate fell, but it is still far above levels in the other three member states and the US. The conclusion, then, is that the Eurozone is a triumph as a monetary union, yet it is far less so as an economic union. At the very least, its creation has not caused the acceleration in dynamism that proponents hoped for. If anything, structural reforms have slowed. Moreover, as the euro soars, the pressures of adjustment to internal divergence are likely to grow to enormous levels. The report is honest about these challenges. Between 1999 and 2007, huge divergences in inflation, relative unit labour costs and current account positions emerged. These tendencies were exacerbated by the divergence in real interest rates with the lowest rates in the countries with the highest inflation and perversely, but inevitably, the strongest economies. 
The stories here are two. The divergence in relative unit labour costs between Germany on the one hand and Ireland, Portugal, Greece, Spain and Italy on the other, and the scale of the credit-fueled property booms in Spain and Ireland. Spain is the most important example. It has had an enormous property boom, with residential investment reaching 9% of GDP and huge current account deficits, which peaked at 10% of GDP. Yet Italy, which has suffered from chronically weak growth instead, also has significant competitiveness problems. How then might these adjustments play out? The answer partly depends on what happens in the Eurozone as a whole. The probabilities are that growth will slow sharply in the short term. Under the pressures of a high exchange rate, the transfers of income abroad generated by high commodity prices and the ECB's efforts to keep inflation under control. Meanwhile, the peripheral countries will confront closely related structural and cyclical challenges. The cyclical one, particularly relevant to Spain, is to find new sources of demand now that the credit boom has run its course. The structural one is to recover lost competitiveness. The two objectives tend to merge in the case of members of a currency union, since these have no monetary policy of their own and limited room for fiscal manoeuvre. So durable recovery will also need big improvements in external competitiveness. When the euro itself is so strong, that is going to be hard to achieve. Assume for argument's sake that trend productivity growth in the production of tradable goods and services is the same in Spain or Italy as in Germany. Then any improvements in competitiveness demand lower wage increases. A 10% improvement in relative unit labour costs would demand a 10% decline in relative wages. If that were to happen over, say, five years, nominal wage increases would probably have to be in the 0 to 1% range. Little short of a recession is likely to generate that result. The optimist would argue that the periphery has only to do what Germany itself did in the early years of EMU. The pessimist would note that Germany's growth averaged only 0.6%, between 2001 and 2005 inclusive. The pessimist might add that Germany's self-discipline is legendary and the underlying strength of its manufacturing sector second to none. The pessimist might conclude by noting the behaviour of Europe's national politicians. Many seem to have believed, or at least hoped, that EMU entry was the end of a tough process rather than the beginning of one. This is not to argue that the adjustment ahead is impossible, but to stress the scale of the challenges. EMU has been managed as successfully as such a union could be. For this, those involved deserve plaudits. If this success were to continue in the decades ahead, the euro would surely become an ever more important global currency. But the success of the eurozone is not a technical matter alone. It also demands very tough political choices. It will only be assured if overall performance improves and internal adjustment works smoothly. So can we conclude that EMU is a triumph? It is still too soon to tell. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.